on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thanks to you, Johnny. It's Friday the 16th of February and this is Game On. Well, today marks the start of the legal Ar- League of Ireland season, so we'll look ahead to tonight's game with Raf Diallo. Fergal Brennan will join us for a Premier League preview. Austin O'Malley is in studio to chat Gaelic games. We'll also speak to Brendan Deveni and we'll have Jane Mangan on racing. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or find us on X at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Welcome along. It is, of course, the dawn of another League of Ireland season. Raf Diallo is with us in studio. I know you've covered it extensively over the last few days, Raf, but there is great excitement and it feels like there's a lot more coverage, a lot more anticipation about this new season for someone that's been covering it for quite some time. Have you noticed? It Since COVID especially, I think it, it seems to have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger every season. I think with the President's Cup final last week as well, with the record attendance there, that's just more evidence of it. There is more focus on the clubs. Obviously, there's some great cl- uh, some clubs doing some great work off the pitch, the likes of Bowes, Shamrock Rovers, uh, just all around the country as well. And it just seems to be... I think people are getting in tune with it a little bit more. And I suppose, like you, I suppose you go to games as well, mm-hmm. so you probably feel it as well. But... I think there is that definite sense that it is growing. It just needs a little bit of help from from outside, especially in terms of facilities, infrastructure and financially. Yeah, well, look, I go to Tala. It's very close to my house and it's ideal for bringing families, for just heading up the road. And Friday evenings are nice. There's good food. It's very safe. But bring them other places, I'd probably think twice about it um, for many reasons. But hopefully with Daily Mount, um, at least anyway, definitely getting that makeover that there'll be a little bit more of attractiveness around some of the grounds. Um, a lot of talk this week as well about Stephen Bradley because he's going for the five in a row and he's built, I guess, rebuilt that Shamrock Rovers team again. He's, he's strengthened it, uh, that's for sure. But some people linking him to possibly going for the Ireland job or at some stage maybe managing Ireland which is again another positive thing Yeah Tony Dunne was speaking to him during the week as well about this and uh, like he has never hidden um, Bradley that is uh, the fact that he would like to go onto bigger and better things at some stage and he was linked with Lincoln but um, he decided to stay at Shamrock Rovers and the Ireland thing was something he did address in that chat with Tony and uh, for him you know he still feels like he has work to do at Shamrock Rovers and eventually maybe when the time is right and when he feels he's learnt enough within the game he might look to uh, move on to something else but the one aspect that came up was whether the Stephen Kenny reign would affect Mm -hmm. uh, the prospects of other uh, League of Ireland managers who might have international ambitions and he sort of took that on board and he acknowledged it and it's going to be hard to say obviously the next manager is unlikely to be um, from the League of Ireland <laughs> obviously yeah. we don't know what the story is at <laughs> this stage but um, Bradley look if he develops and continues to on the on the path that he's on um, who knows what, what can happen it's football it's hard to predict I was at that uh, President's Cup last weekend and Shamrock Rovers have certainly assembled a very exciting team uh, they played Dundalk this evening it is live on RT2 at 7.45 do you think Shamrock Rovers are going to get off to that really strong start that everyone is expecting? 
uh, on paper they look stronger it's something Alan Cawley said this morning on uh, Morning Ireland and you know they brought in Dar Burns who really thrived in the league when he was at Pats before going to England and he's back Josh Honahan is an, an option at the back who's going to be starting and you know when you look at Aaron McNeff as well who of course is not playing tonight uh, but they, they seem like a, a much stronger squad and the fact that Dundalk have brought in 11 new faces that can be hard in the first few weeks to get a bit of cohesion especially with some of the names coming in very late in the window like the goalkeeper George Shelby so you would say Shamrock Rovers are favourites because they're at home you know first uh, season with the new stand there good strong squad even missing the likes of Jack Byrne and I think there's a late fitness test for Graham Burke but they have so many options and even with Pico you know out for the first yeah. couple of weeks as well it's they have by far the strongest squad in the league and they should be able to handle any challenge and I would fancy them to beat Dundalk but then again they started really they slowly did, last yeah. season It'll be interesting just to who's going to mount the challenge because last year we expected it to be Derry City they didn't really reach the heights that they, that we were expecting of them in a way it felt like nobody was really going to take on that challenge um, St. Pat's Shells they were all there thereabouts but nobody really p- pushed on this year when you look and I guess look we've only seen the St. Patrick's Athletic team last week against um, Chamac Rovers and they seem to to struggle a little bit who do you think are going to be the big title challengers Raf? It looks like it's going to be Pats and Derry City once, uh, particularly Pats, their problem is, and maybe um, we saw a little bit of it last week, it, it will take a bit of time. Just as we said with Dundalk, so many changes, it takes a few weeks for players to get used to each other. Uh, John Daly, of course, had a brilliant uh, second half of the season in charge of them last season and there's that little bit of stability too so you would imagine especially with Rory Keaton coming in and if he plays anywhere like he did uh, when he was at Cork City last season you know they have a they have a really good centre forward there and then when you look through the the rest of the, the squad Brandon Kavanagh and Keane Kavanagh arriving from Derry City that strengthens things right back is a bit of a of an issue uh, they played Aaron Bolger out of position there last week and uh, since Sam Curtis has mm-hmm. left that's an area that and needs Raph, to be today good. he was pictured at first team training which is fantastic Fantastic for Curtis. Yeah, indeed, and uh, you Sheffield know, United. Yeah. Moved to, yeah, who knows? Uh, who knows how quickly he gets integrated into the into the uh, into the you know their proper first team picture uh, probably next season and that would likely be in the championship the way things are going for uh, Sheffield United but yeah looking at Pats overall once the season gets going um, they should uh, they should be up for challenging now again Shamrock Rovers are quite ahead of the pack and whether Pats have enough to, to close the gap that's hard to say Derry City as well I would expect would you know they have a fairly settled squad and they've strengthened with Patrick Hoban where they had the problem last season sometimes in tight games where they didn't have that uh, centre forward who could make the difference in certain games especially with Colin Whelan who's been really unfortunate with injuries not being available and even in his short cameos last season he did uh, he, you know he did brilliantly in the three games he played in, and then uh, he was he was injured again and Hoban will hopefully um, fill that uh, for, for Derry City. Austin O'Malley is with us as well. Austin, a Mayo man, have you much interest in the League of Ireland? Oh, no, absolutely I have and I'm acutely aware, I suppose, of the the numbers that have been generated or the following that's been improved over the last uh, couple of years and there's, a, there's, there's good energy around it um, and it's, I suppose the you know it's it's punctuated by the, the story of Shamrock Rovers hitting for five but you can see those other clubs are beginning to develop and pull up uh, as well and it's it's really good to see sort of you know you know Irish talent soccer talent being developed and, and numbers turning out to see it so looking forward yeah I always keep abreast of it and I'm always interested in the different stories that are that are developing around it as well 
Yeah. You know, well, it's a very young league as well. That's the other thing. It, it really gets younger is. in terms of the players that are there and even like um, talking about your kind of Sligo and like Sligo Rovers. I mean, uh, they have, uh, I think they're, all their outfielders are 25 or under and that's kind of remarkable. Um, you know, and obviously they brought in Max Mata yeah. as well who I not sure is going to be available for tonight because he needs a work permit but again he's just 23 as well so they've got a very young squad and that is reflected throughout much mm-hmm. of the league except maybe Shamrock Rovers is a little bit older yeah maybe. a little bit yeah, yeah they have a few more experienced names so tonight then um, there is as we mentioned Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk on TV both Sligo Rovers Derry City Drada Galway United St. Pat's and Waterford Shelburne how do you think Shelburne are going to do this season Damien Duff with the helm of course yeah they have that stability of having the same manager now mm. this is uh, year three for him and of course they lost Jack Moylan which is a big blow in terms of goals and goals was the issue for them last season in terms of scoring or not scoring um, uh, they you know defensively they're very strong and he has them well set up and when you look who who they've brought in, Dean Williams, uh, you know, a bit of creativity with Liam Burt and Will Jarvis as well. And, of course, Matty Smith, who missed portions of the end of last season with injury, he's, uh, you know, fully fit. So you would expect they will be looking to build on, you know, or try and improve on, you know, the, the I suppose, the attacking side of the, of the, of the coin, which was a bit of an issue for them last season. Fergal Brennan is with us on the line as well. How are you, Fergal? Very good, and yourself? Yeah, great. Um, we're going to get on to the Premier League in just a minute, in a minute, but we were speaking about who could potentially be the next Ireland manager. And because there's such a vacuum of actual information, lots of people are filling it with who it could be or, or who not. And a few um, a few high-profile names in Ireland over the last few days have come out and suggested that it won't be Lee Carsley. There was further information then today that there seems to be an impasse because of the finances. Um, so as it stands, we're, we're really no clearer on who is going to be the next Ireland manager, except that we feel and believe maybe that it could be imminent. Yeah, it looks as if it, it will be decided uh, next week. And, and again, much like everyone that's been following this story, that's only based on uh, people that have been covering it very, very closely, um, saying that it looks to be ready to go. Obviously, this is with an eye on the, the March friendlies, and whoever it is that takes the job will at least want a base of time to go and look at the players that they'll be selecting um, and who they'll be bringing into the squad and obviously preparing for those matches. I think the interesting thing from this week in, in relation to Lee Carsley was the, the Shea Given interview where mm-hmm. he effectively said that to the best of his knowledge it wouldn't be Lee Carsley. Um, that only seemed to last 24 hours because then it kind of seemed as if yeah, maybe he's heard something but nothing's been decided. I, I still don't think in terms of um, certainty over who it will be I don't think we're any further. I still think the position of the FAI is the same Lee Carsley is the number one choice. Neil Lennon is the backup option. I think both managers are well aware of the situation in terms of where they stand. Um, I think Neil Lennon, obviously, is a difficult situation for him personally because he probably knows that the FAI will turn to him if ultimately Lee Carsley cannot be brought in. Um, but he's a pragmatist. He's quite an experienced manager. He knows that that's how these things work. You can't let that affect your level of professionalism. Um, but I think everybody just wants a decision um, because at the moment, I know there are only friendly games in March, but we're getting closer and closer to, to actually seeing some games and we're not really any closer in knowing over who will be in charge, what the tactics will be, what players will they like. Because um, that, that's something the supporters are, are interested in. They want to know how is the new manager going to approach things? Are they going to be fresh players brought in that maybe weren't used by Stephen Kenny? Are they going to be much of a muchness in terms of the same squad? It's going to be a different playing style, tactics, all that kind of thing. Um, 
and ultimately until we get a name we just don't know yeah, it feels like this never-ending waiting game, but hopefully it will happen soon and we can actually start talking about football and maybe be a little bit excited about what's to come. Raf, you're looking at me there and uh, it's it's questionable. No, indeed. <laughs> and uh, I've had this kind of up and down with the week in terms of the, the Ireland manager as well because I was doing the soccer podcast on Monday. Keith Tracy had mentioned that he had heard from people from Lee Carsey's generation <laughs> that, um, of course, that uh, that he, Lee Carsey remains interested in the job. Then the following day, just on the Champions League coverage, I was sitting there <laughs> in my living room just chilling out. And then I heard Shea Given uh, basically scupper that and say that okay, Lee Carsey might take the job at some point, but it won't be it won't be now. I heard Brian Kerr, I think the the following day, sort of uh, reiterating that mm-hmm. as well, and and I'm said it wouldn't be Chris Hutton either. So like everybody's kind of thrown in their tuppence worth, they're yeah. giving their opinions and reckon that they have inside lines to certain people. But it feels now as well, um, Raf, that if it's not Lee Carsley, everyone's going to be really disappointed. Yeah, because everything has really been built up to it being Lee Carsey. I think we've almost accepted it ourselves. And obviously, look, Neil Lennon has has his successes with Celtic, especially in his first first spell. But really, Lee Carsley's success with England under twenty ones, which is a lot more recent, and the remit of the role being, um, you know, having an overview of not just the senior team but also the the underage teams underneath it he seems like the perfect fit. Obviously, it's hard to know who is going to be the perfect fit, but he would seem to be on paper. Yeah, OK, we'll wait and see a little bit more. Um, before we get on to the Premier League, Fergal, where is Kylian Mbappe going to end up, do you think? Uh, I mean, one of the worst-kept secrets <laughs> in, in European <laughs> football has, has kind of taken... We're, we're maybe a bit closer on knowing that than who will be the next item. <laughs> oh, don't say uh, that. <laughs> PSG, PSG have effectively confirmed that he, he will be leaving uh, this summer. The option to extend his contract by another 12 months is not going to be taken up. There's been whispers and rumours for, for well over a year now about um, what he was going to do. And, and in reality, there was only two choices, really. Stay at PSG or go to Real Madrid. There's been a little flurry of rumours uh, with relation to the Premier League over the last couple of days. Mikel Arteta was asked about it in his press conference today. Jurgen Klopp's been asked about um, Mbappe in the past because there's been links with with Liverpool previously. Um, it looks as if it's on for, for Real Madrid. Um, he will take a pay cut, um, according to the, the reports that I've been reading in Spain this morning. He'll be the third highest paid player at the club behind Vinicius Junior and, and Jude Bellingham. Um, it'll still obviously be an enormous contract, but it'll be on less than he's currently earning at, at Paris Saint-Germain. And I think this has come to the point in his career where it has to happen now. Um, there's always a major question mark over PSG in terms of can they win Champions Leagues back-to-back? Can they even win one? Um, they've only got to one final since he's been at the club and they, they lost out to Bayern Munich during COVID. Um, he knows that realistically that's never going to change. They're always going to be a step or two down from teams that are favourites in the Champions League, Real Madrid, Manchester City, etc. Um, and if he wants to take his career up to kind of step into that chasm of who is going to be the next dominant player in world football alongside Erling Haaland and, and one or two others. It has to be now, and, and realistically, it has to be Madrid because I don't think it fits a Premier League move because of the amount of money that would have to be paid. Man City are the only ones in a position to do that and they've shown no interest in him. He must be looking at Neymar going, there's a cautionary tale. I don't want to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, but I, I ultimately think that, that Neymar got the big call in his career wrong by, by going to PSG he obviously was attracted by an enormous salary it was a world record well it's still a world record transfer fee that was paid um, but a big portion of, of Neymar's issues in Paris lie at the feet of Neymar in terms of his application to go on and be 
the next best player in behind Messi and Ronaldo. He all of the tools were there at Barcelona to say he's not going to be Messi, but he can be as close as possible. Um and and there's just an enormous amount that's been missing from his portfolio in terms of his his application, his ability in the big games. And whilst obviously injuries do happen, there also has to be a bit of question marks over his ability to stay fit. How committed is is he to looking after his body, making sure that he's in peak physical um fitness at all times and that just doesn't seem the case I'm, I'm obviously not saying the injuries that he suffered particularly bad tackles and that kind of thing that that's obviously not something within his control but there's always been a feeling particularly at PSG that he can turn it on every now and again but this idea of doing it for 50 60 games a season season after season it was never going to happen with Neymar I, I, I mean I, there's a few question marks over Mbappe in terms of his consistency at the very very highest level but that's also because he's playing for PSG. He's not playing in the level of league games that he would do at Madrid or Manchester City. And he's not playing in the highest level of Champions League games that he would be because PSG, I think it's four last 16 exits they've had since he's been there. That's not that next level up that he wants to, t- <clears throat> sorry, that he wants to take. Yeah, and Ferkel, just on, like we can expect, it is going to be Real Madrid, but you look at the the way they're playing at the moment and Vinicius seems to be just getting better and better and better and you kind of feel like if Mbappe was to arrive there, he would be actually filling in some of the same positions that Vinicius actually picks up on the pitch. Yeah, and that's, I would say, a concern, but it's obviously an amazing thing for Carlo Ancelotti to deal with potentially next season. But I think the role that Karen Benzema played with Vinicius before he left and, and moved to Saudi Arabia they were very close to each other on the pitch Benzema would roam from that central position and go over to the left hand side and link with Vinicius and the two of them would kind of burst off each other Vinicius obviously with his pace to, to get in behind and Benzema with that ability to just break into the box and, and finish off a chance um, I think Mbappe will probably be the one to play centrally if they continue playing with a three um, Vinicius is massively important to Real Madrid he's, he's not going anywhere either um, but I think Mbappe plays the way that he does now at PSG because he's got so much freedom because the idea is so much of it is built around him that they just want to create this ocean of space get the ball to him and let him do some damage whereas in Madrid he, he will have to be coached and play within a system a bit more and last season obviously with Messi generally they played as a two where Messi would drop in and look to link with him in field and Mbappe would kind of go and wreak havoc on his own and most of the time that was in a central area I think it's more for France that we associate him with that drift out to the left and running at a right back and, and doing some damage there. I think he will play more centrally for Madrid when when and if it gets done. Um, well, there, there will obviously have to be a bit of rejigging. There's also a possibility that they go with two up front with Vinicius and him, um, but then that would put a question mark over Rodrigo, who's who's obviously another very, very important player. But there's, there's flexibility there they play as a three with, with Mbappe through the middle they play as a two with Drew Bellingham as a number 10 and, and that also has got the potential to be quite something to deal with yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. One of those uh, bucket list teams you want to go and see. Have, yeah. Yeah. Time. <laughs> so, Fergal, tomorrow at uh, 12.30, an early kickoff for Liverpool against Brentford. The last time Brentford uh, played Liverpool, the last two times they played them in home games, they scored three goals each um, time. Are we going to have another thriller? Hopefully. Uh, it's a very interesting day tomorrow because there's so many games on and you've got the three teams in the title race all play in, in succession Liverpool in the early game Arsenal at three and then Man City Chelsea at half five um, the interesting thing from Brentford I, I don't think they'll score that many goals they were good against Wolves last weekend and that kind of 
um, took a little bit of pressure away because they've not been great overall. Ivan Tony coming back in has been important. He's got three goals in four games and he's massively important for them. I do think they'll stay up. He'll score the goals that will get them there and then in the summer he'll, he'll more than likely move on. What Brentford have done quite well since he's come back is they've, to be a bit cliche about it, they've kind of gone back to what they were doing last season which is very organised at set pieces, not just lumping it in the box but playing to their strengths which is Tony's such a good finisher in tight spaces Neil Morpay causes a lot of problems for people they've got a huge amount of heights coming from midfield coming from defence that creates a lot of chances and Liverpool in those games that you mentioned have struggled to deal with that type of situation so I think tomorrow you'll see uh, Canate come back in he's back from suspension Virgil van Dijk um, I've got a feeling Ryan Kravenberg might play tomorrow because he adds that bit of height from set pieces and just to help Canati and Van Dijk and others compete for the ball um, Liverpool I think in terms of where they are within the title race they know that Arsenal have got momentum they know that Man City just keep passing every hurdle that get, gets put in front of them so they have to go there and win I know their record away at Brentford is not great um, in the Premier League but that just has to change tomorrow if they want to make sure that they're then turning the pressure on Arsenal at three o'clock and then Arsenal will look at that and say right we've got to win so that Manchester City have got something to think about later on. Anyone who's got a free day tomorrow and is able to watch these three games, <laughs> it, it should be a cracker. Absolutely. I think, Raf, that's your plan for the day, is it? It is indeed, yeah. <laughs> so do you, Arsenal have to win? Will it be straightforward for them, do you think, against Burnley? I mean, straightforward is always a difficult one. I think a lot of the kind of old stories about Burnley being a very difficult place to go and Arsenal particularly being a team that's associated with maybe finding that type of test uh, difficult I don't think that's the case on both sides anymore I think Vincent Company's Burnley is incredibly different to Sean Dyche's Burnley um, and Mikel Arteta and the, the steeliness that he's put into this Arsenal team is different to, to previous Arsenal sides so it should be a win I'm, I'm always very delicate not to say straightforward or routine or definitely not easy they should win I think they will win um, definitely if Liverpool get the result that they need at Brentford Arteta will pretend that he has no idea what the Liverpool score is but he will know the players will know um, and, and they just have to go there and get the job done I think Burnley it's, it, it's kind of a long goodbye for them in Sheffield United in terms of relegation Sheffield United got a win last weekend but both of them it, ju it just looks like they haven't quite got enough to keep themselves in the division and then if at full time we're talking about an Arsenal win it's over to you Man City at, at half five Oh, that should be well it should be a good game Man City of course good turn on um, the style Cole Palmer back at the Etihad so a big game for him yeah um, it's an interesting one in, in terms of his kind of rise at Chelsea I, I don't think he was discarded by, by Pep Guardiola I think Guardiola because of his relationship with the club he's come through the youth ranks he kind of almost looks set to follow the, the Phil Foden path he was very honest with him and, and said that right now you're not going to be starting regularly so he gave him a choice last summer which is stay here we will give you some amount of game time we're going to be fighting across multiple fronts and he said no I want to go and be a regular in a team that's challenging at the top of the Premier League table that hasn't happened for Chelsea but it, it has happened for Cole Palmer and he scored I think it was a 93rd 94th minute penalty against City in the reverse fixture back in I think it was October, November time. Um, so he's shown that he, he's got a maturity, uh, he's got a calmness in these types of situations. But City, I think we've just seen across all competitions, Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, um, 11 wins on the run. De Bruyne is back and fully fit. Erling Haaland's back. The goals that Haaland got against Everton last weekend were just 
frightening <laughs> for the, the other 19 teams in the league the, the volley inside the box from the corner after Everton had defended so well and then the, the winner where he just got away from Branthwaite um, I, I can't really see Chelsea getting too close to them I think it's five home wins from six um, for City against Chelsea in the Premier League so City are the best equipped to react to pressure and Chelsea we, we still don't really know where we are they, they won last week uh, sorry Monday night against Crystal Palace they got the FA Cup win against Villa before that but prior to that it was just a bit of a mix and match in the Premier League that they might play well but lose or they might kind of scrabble a win um, and Man City just they're just ruthless in that type of situation if Chelsea get a couple of chances and don't finish them Manchester City will, will just bury them Man United Luton on Sunday United chasing a fourth straight Premier League win do you think that the resurgence under Ten Hag, that talk is premature or are they, are they actually getting their, their acting gear? I still, I still think an awful lot of the progress that they're making is based on this idea of somebody, last weekend it was Scott McTominay, the Wolves game it was Kobe Mainu. it's still relying on a person at a big moment or a clutch moment in a game doing something, scoring a goal, a bit of magic, doing something unexpected to just turn it. I still think there's a little bit of a lack of plan like we watched the, the Villa game last week and part of the reason that United were still in the game is because Villa weren't really themselves particularly at home the performances that you expect from Aston Villa it just wasn't quite there and the goal came from rare bit of pressure from Manchester United and a really good goal from Scott McTominay I think he's the 7th or 8th Premier League goal this season I think he's their top Premier League goal scorer and given the fact that he's not even a regular starter that says to me that there is still a bit of a lack of plan. That's, that's nothing against him. He's, he's doing a very good job and he's been massively impactful for them. But if a defensive midfielder who's not even a starter is your top Premier League goal scorer and is scoring goals off the bench, that still says to me that there's a, a bit of a lack of direction over exactly what Eric Ten Hag are doing and what Manchester United are. That's all very fair. Uh, Fergal Brennan, thank you so much for all of that. Hopefully the next time that we're speaking to you, we will know two things. One, if Mbappe is definitely going to Real Madrid and two, if we have a Republic of Ireland men's manager. Thank you so much. Uh, stay with us. We're going to take a, take a very quick break and uh, we still have lots more to come. We have Gaelic football, swimming and racing. RTE 2FM Game on. Gaelic football. Now, welcome back. Austin O'Malley is still with me here in studio and Brendan Deveni is on the phone. Brendan, how are you? Good, Marie. What about you? Ah, sure. Look, I haven't talked to you in ages, so it's great to chat again. Do you know what? I know the last time I got a text there was a bit of a mix-up in my half. I, I was all ready to go and I was texting what's a crack and then I realised I hadn't texted your producer back. I was like, <laughs> yeah, so sorry. I, I love this. Just confessions live on air. That's Look, we'll great. go with that. <laughs> it's a big weekend though and um, well, it feels like a big weekend because there's some really good games. Uh, Kerry Mayo, um, Derry, Monaghan, Dublin, Ross Common. Well, I'm naming out all the Division One games, but there's lots of games, good games across the weekend. But uh, let's start with Kerry and Mayo because that's probably the the box office one, Brendan. And before we get into what could happen on the pitch, just Michal Burns. I was really taken by uh, the fact that he has stepped away from the Kerry panel. I guess just you know, as someone that follows uh, all sports and Austin and Raf are here as well, to see somebody walking away from a team that could potentially win All-Ireland, it doesn't happen too often. But do you feel or do you think that the commitments now for Gaelic football are just gone through the roof? 
Well, if they were me, I guess a lot of other people would be stepping away. True. I think this yeah. is more case with, with Michael around. I think he, he got a shout the first day. He was overlooked the second day. You have young players coming in. And Jack O'Connor's trialing out lo a load of players and wants to see where players are. And I guess he's looking, thinking, was that me then? And, you know, if you're in there a long time and you're waiting and there's new younger lads coming through and you're thinking, versus the commitment, versus the time, you know, since he's been in there, is it worth it? So I suppose it's very individual for people to weigh it up. But I think if you're around a squad a long time and you're thinking, I'm going to spend much of the season on the bench, it's a difficult decision. And, and uh, Michael decided it wasn't for him. Asti? Yeah, I, I suppose you all, like from a player's perspective, you know, you're, you're weighing it up. Is, is the juice worth the squeeze? And some, some people might say, well, that's, that's a bit rash in terms of like, you know, you get a, a chance to to wear a county jersey and so on but uh, you can fully appreciate I suppose where he's coming from and like Brendan has, Brendan has set it out there in terms of like you know started the first day didn't get a shout the second you know the, the second day out and you've seen young Killian Burke come in at wing forward and you know obviously poached the goal and, and looked like that he could do a job there again so I guess you know he's been on the road a while I think he's actually if if, if I'm right I think he's actually teaching in South Kerry which is down Carseville and it's a drive up to up and down daily to, to Killarney probably training and all that that. so there's there's probably you know he, he might have just you know factored all those things in and thought like you know maybe it's just the, the best time to, to exit but it was a surprise um, definitely and as, as you said you know when you think of that there's a potential you know anyone that's looking in from an outside would say that you know they're, the, all the signs would suggest that they go the whole distance again and probably end up in a final this year so uh, it's a big big call yeah, it is a big call it's a big it? call it'd be interesting to see if there's anything else sort of falls out of it after this weekend again you know yeah one of my friends was a camogie player and she decided to take a year off and it was the one year that her county won the All-Ireland and yeah. she never won one. Um, and she was the type of person as well that had been playing for the county since she was about 15. So wow. she'd given massive commitment. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, these decisions uh, can either... Twist, yeah, 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 big time. But the match itself, um, Mayo, they seem like a team that have um, a lot of confidence. We know it's only the league, but heading down to Tralee, it's never an easy thing, is it, uh, Brendan? Yeah, well, interesting folks, Liam McHale, you know, I know Michael Burns walked away, he's walked away from the Mayo backroom team, citing uh, huge discrepancies in terms of what he wants Mayo to do versus the other lads in there. So too many cooks sometimes, Marie, you know, but certainly if you go back this time last year, Mayo gave an absolute exhibition against Kerry. It was 283 points at half time, blew them away, the pitch invasion. People were questioning, you know, what about it? I suppose Kerry were all Ireland champions. They were a bit late coming back. And, you know, we, the Mayo machine, what do they do? You know, do they, do they, do they go their usual Mayo and, and attack Kerry all over the pitch? Or, you know, as we've seen against Dublin, maybe a bit more measured in terms of not conceding goals. And, and they didn't do that. So I think probably for Mayo fans going into it, you know, and, and I was just thinking, Maurice, all the teams in the league there, if you look at Division 1, they've got so many different things going on. That's what's fascinating about them. Everybody's got their own story kind of going into this. I think particularly for Mayo, it's about having, you know, a defensive shape that they're not vulnerable at the back, particularly the goals, which has been their constant Achilles heel. I suppose trying to get scoring power up front to, to help who's the thing. You know, we, we talked about the left foot free ticker. Maybe many ways lucky to, to, to beat Dublin last night. Dublin probably did enough to get a draw. So I think for, for Mayo fans, you want to build up a wee bit ahead of steam. And very different story for Jack O'Connor, of course. You know, we've talked endlessly about midfield and the fact Jack Barry's going to this year and of course the two O'Connors I think played the last day at like they'll start again you have O'Cumber coming in there uh, keeps picking up injuries coming back from Aussie rules you know and you've, you have a host of other players still to come in O'Brien, O'Buglia Breen, Killings Bland they're all to come back as well so I think very much for the likes of Kerry and Mayo now it's, it's fine a bit of form 
unearth a couple of players, get your kind of tactical play in place, and the league just is very much that bit of stepping stone to the championship. There are other teams that are desperate to stay under it, and teams are desperate to get up under it. But I think for two teams that are around about it, they're A and, a and bigger price. So it's just about, I suppose, getting their form ready going into this. And I don't think it would bother either to lose the match at the weekend. I think it's more about getting their form and their tactical shape in play. Austin, will it bother Dublin if they lose another game playing Ross Common on five o'clock on Saturday? Look, I'd say it would be a concern. I suppose they're looking in. I know they have a number of individuals obviously to come back in and to ret- return, but their their form has been patchy, and I know they're probably behind the curve in terms of their their later back than most outfits. But um, another another loss would certainly be. I think it would be concerning for them, um, given you know what's what's laying ahead, like laying ahead down the road for them. And I know these guys we've said are about to re- return. We're talking about Cluxton, um, McCarthy, and and all of these guys. But like I'm always saying sort of round three in the league it's kind of it is a crunch round now they've had two two weeks of, of, of a break um, after the, the Mayo game and I'm, I'm presumed there was a, a bit of work got into the legs that first week so they could get a bounce it's a game I think that I probably would see them winning the weekend in Crow Park at home and again um, as Brendan said there the league I know it is about blood and new players and so on and they, they have unearthed it even I thought uh, young Greg McEnany put his hand up the last mm. day young Murphy at centre back so they are trying to get obviously minutes into these guys but I think Desi, um, you know, he, he did seem, you know, disappointed after even they coughed up that um, uh, bit of possession at the, at, at the end that gave Mayo the free, obviously. And the week before was, you know, the Brian Finton turnover that allowed Monaghan in and, and to win. So um, I, I, I certainly think that they, they, they would be looking to, to close that one out um, and, you know, get themselves up and running and get two on the board. And that game feels like a bit of a four kind of pointer in that it's mm-hmm. Roscommon and probably most people might be looking at the moment thinking Roscommon could be a potentially side that could slip this year. What have you made of Dublin so far this season, Brendan? Yeah, well, I think much like any of the All-Ireland teams coming back, you know, you've you got to just say here, They've, as as you was saying, but unlucky in the two games in many ways. But you just think, what does it really matter to them? They've gone down before, and it hasn't yeah, bored them. So I think really, as I say, I mean, there's so many teams with so many different things going on in there. The fact they've conceded four goals in the first two games, you know, you'll think if they tighten up and then they just start, they they don't want to be going well now. They maybe want to have an odd defeat because I suppose that kind of garners a bit of hunger in them. If it's all too easy for them, but it was for years, you were like, oh, they're going to be steal. And of course, they. Still all that at the championship anyway but certainly if you look at Ross Common you know we've seen it before they'll come out they'll be absolutely buzzing in the dressing room and the Ross Common fans will be always but like Monaghan if you look at Monaghan good in that first day you know missing so many players and, and the result against Dublin I mean the buzz through Monaghan was, it was unbelievable back then even though they were not in semi the year before so you know it was a big couple of weeks coming up for those teams and I agree with us you know you, you, you look at sides in there now that desperately want to stay in there because it is important for the evolution of the players where some of the bigger teams I don't think it overly bars them they won't want to go down but I certainly think there's very different mindsets I can imagine the Dublin dressing room pre this game would be very calm whereas it might be a wee bit of chest pumping in the in the Rossi side Derry and Monaghan tomorrow as well. Derry, of course, with that impressive start and you get the sense they're just going to keep pushing on, Osti. Yeah, look, they, they definitely seem as great, as I said, you know, previously, so there's great energy around them. I think uh, as as they are one of the teams that I think are best placed in terms of, you know, they're so clear about what they're about in terms of their game plan, their set up and the way they approach the game and the way they 
you know, transition a ball and, and, you know, even, you know, listen to Brendan Rodgers post one of the last game, you know, that idea of their transition a ball and the cuts that they're getting off that up front and they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're awesome at times when you see that. And again, like a number of other teams, you know, they're sprinkling in a little bit of new talent in there. You have Murphy going well. You have obviously the Glynn lads back and, you know, the, 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 the whole sense of, of, of energy and, and enthusiasm they bring back into the whole setup as well um, from winning an All-Ireland club. So I, I just think they are really, really well placed um, to, to to kick on, and I I wouldn't be surprised if they if they seen that one out as well. The one I'm actually looking forward to, although the Canavans probably won't be playing after the Sigerson, but seeing their kicking in the Sigerson, the two Canavans and Dara Craig as well, oh. just that game. Um, couple of days ago Brendan I don't know did you see it but it was phenomenal show of of kicking ability yeah yeah um, our own club goalkeeper uh, Ronan McGeehan was in this well done lad clean sheet and all <laughs> brilliant I have to give him a shout out and listen hey take it all the way to Tralee I mean come on <laughs> I, know, <yeah. laughs> I was like right Ireland Belfast Tralee no I know we don't know who's going to be on it but obviously I say myself, who decided that but yeah listen uh the boys are unbelievable mm-hmm. and you know I, I just think thrown in a funny spe- space and I suppose when he Fergal Logan is, is an illness there and you know with a bit of medical treatment after last we wish him all the best uh, the assistant manager there an mm-hmm. absolute gent of a man outside of the GA so wish him a, a, a recovery there but certainly yeah I mean Tyrone's forward line phenomenal obviously losing McNamigan in this season massive boy that their full back was, was, was anchored on, on their defence on I mean you have Morgan I was watching Morgan against uh, Donegal and the McKenna Cup and he's unbelievable I mean, you talk about players coming out the pitch he plays out the pitch for his club and he's taking people on he's not taking away the keeper sometimes people think a weak spot get around him he was actually burning Donegal boys out the pitch and that so you never know we throw on you know the, the, what's going to come in them they have any unearthed players some of their stalwart players have gone away but the, as you said me, the two Canavans coming in there and particularly Dara I mean he's yeah. just so oh. much the dad <laughs> on the side you can't mark him and, and there's some big rumours coming out of Galway I think this is the last year for the boys and there mm. always seems to be this element of Galway of it's either they're buzzing or there's problems I, I don't know what it is there's always something seems to be coming out of there at the minute and I know there's injuries there Glenn and Comer seems to be off and on I hear Walsh now and so how, how they're approaching this there's talk now that they're not worried about the league they're not going to hit it hard until the last couple of games don't care Gamery whether Murray, whether they go up or down so Galway now seem to be aiming for Connacht and, and whatever happens and then boom and this is, seems to be the big push from them whereas Tyrone there's a small bit of a rebuild there very unsure how mm-hmm. the two teams will go in the summer and it's very hard to predict who will come out of this one I'll see yeah no look I, I, I think Tyrone definitely in terms of the talent that they're they're, they're unearthing obviously the, the two Canavans and Darius they must before. have spent the winter just practising oh my god well do you know what watching the Sigerson final and I was obviously watching him closely in the um, in the, the, the Roscommon game and, and, and like where he took an 8 point haul as well like just his his the cleanness of his mm-hmm. kicking the range of his kicking left, left foot, and right, right foot, yeah. yeah and it just I, I, even watching the Sigerson final I just went away that night I, I was actually it just sort of renewed me with a sense of you know confidence in the game that there's clearly there's 
this is a man that's spending a lot of time honing his skills. No, no more so than Derek Craig. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic yeah, as well. Was, yeah. You know, and just it it it, it was an actual tour de force. But um, ty- like Tyrone are definitely on a rebuild in terms of what they've brought in there. There's others there, and you know, Ben Cullen and Niall Devlin, these guys that they are bringing through. But um, yeah, like it, it, I still think Tyrone and Hilly Park pro- would probably shade that, given that Galway are without Comer and Shane Walsh. Even though I see Sean Kelly is back on the bench, so he could be earmarked to. to to tag Canavan if he appears if he makes an introduction Brendan um, are you enjoying watching Donegal under Jim McGuinness yeah yeah surely Marie we, we've all these lovely you know funky buzz statements now about <laughs> you know, setting traps and uh, <laughs> you know it's every year I'm thinking there can't be something new and then these things start jumping out and I'm like yeah let's get the cool language going you know so yeah we'll be setting a few traps for the for you set a few traps in your own day Brendan I'd say <laughs> You lured in a couple of full backs from what I remember. And I'll tell you that uh, a couple of elbows used to be spinning about you know, if you get if you get in the wrong zone. But you know, um I Donegal at the minute, yeah, there's a there's a buzzer. Listen, we don't get me wrong, Kevin could very easily beaten Donegal, maybe should have got a draw from the game the last day. So it's not as if Donegal are just gonna steamroll everybody in there, you know, there's there's a build, there's a process there. I mean, Cork was so, so poor first day out. I mean, there's a real fear there. You know, you're looking at Cork or Kildare could be in the in the Talton, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it's looking. And the fact that Meath obviously won it last year could leave it at one of them uh, and still make it. But they're, they're tinkering on it now. So what what for Mana come with, you know, obviously Donnelly's doing a fantastic job there as a coach. They've been superb since he's come in. And they're sitting in three points, of course, the way he draw we meet the first day, which people didn't expect. And they beat Gildare uh, last year. So they'll be coming, they'll be sticky, you know, and Letter Kenny, Donnelly will keep talking to this terrible record they have at Letter Kenny for whatever reason. But maybe they'll put it right uh, tomorrow. Maybe. But certainly there's a great buzz about Donegal at the minute. And Donegal are blessed because what happened last year with the management, you know, again this year, it could have been something similar. Maybe, you know, to get a manager of, of that level, and if you, we spoke briefly, you know, you think about Derry there in particular, having the likes of Hart to come in, like there just aren't these managers out there. And if you mm-hmm. look at the top management teams, they're then pulling in people, you know, to coach. You, know, you look at Connie Gilligan going to, going to Armand, people who are county material themselves are getting brought into these setups because they are so high-end so there's not a lot of people out there Stunning God blessed that Jim's back in there again and yeah you're right I mean Letterkenny will be packed tomorrow 2 o'clock in Letterkenny Maria it's a <laughs> bit of a madhouse for shopping on a Saturday it is going to be bedlam there so get down to the pitch early <laughs> destination <laughs> and watch out for those traps <laughs> yeah. watch out for the traps <laughs> Brendan uh, thank you so much for that uh, looking forward to all of the weekend's action um, Osti as well thank you so much for coming in uh, we're going to take a quick break we will be chatting swimming Mona McSharry's fifth place in the world uh, 200 meter breaststroke final and of course Jane Mangan is to come as well RTE 2FM now, welcome back. We're going to turn our attention to swimming now. Mona McSherry has finished fifth in the final of the 200 metre breaststroke at the World Aquatics Championships in Qatar. She touched the wall in two minutes, 24.89 seconds. Andrew Bree, who's been chatting to us all week about the World Championships, joins us now on the line from Doha. How are you, Andrew? I'm very, very good. I'm actually in Dubai. Um, I was in Doha and now I've, um, <laughs> I've made my way over to Dubai for a bit of live commentary work here at the Dubai Open Swimming Championships. So just finished our final session there a couple of hours ago. So when I got the message, I couldn't resist 
to come back onto the show and talk swimming. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved our chat the other night. And pick up where we left off. Um, so Mona finished fifth in the final again. I know it's a final and it's fantastic to be there, but um, no doubt she would have wanted a medal, Andrew. Of course. I mean, this is it's it's been a consistent performance with Mona finishing fifth in both the 200 and 100 metre finals illustrates that uh, she's a consistent high level performer like what like this isn't you don't see many not only in swimming but you don't see many um, athletes go from one event to the other obviously Michael Phelps was a complete um, enigma when he was able to pull off eight gold medals but the fact that Mona can get in dive in and smash a 50 metre breast dive in get fifth in the world in the 100 meter breast and then followed up with a 200 meter breaststroke. Like I trained all my life, all my life for 200 meters breaststroke. So I know what it takes in terms of the pacing. So for her to, for her to be at that level in both events, it's impressive. And it's a, uh, it's a great stepping stone. You know, I, I got the message earlier about coming on your show. So of course, you know, with my, RT background, working with you all for the um, Olympics. I got onto her coach and I was able to have a good 20-minute chat with him and he said she's in a great place. She struggled after the last Olympics and whatever happened at the Europeans last August in Dublin, she has come back into this Olympic cycle. She has come back into this um, these preparations for Paris and she is light-hearted she is energetic. She is inspiring the younger swimmers at the University of Tennessee. So he is, he's very excited. That sounds really good. So from your experience then, Andrew, what does she need to do now to push on that extra bit and try and claim a much coveted Olympic medal? I mean, I could tell you, but just in case there's her competitors are listening. No, no, there's things <laughs> there's things I see as a as a 200 meter breast trigger. She's very strong with the legs. She's very strong in the glutes. She's very strong with the leg kick. Are there things that I see as a 200 meter breast trigger that she can improve on with her shoulder mobility? Yes, with her breakouts. Yes, but that would definitely be a, a private conversation. I met up with her last year after the Europeans, and I says, Mona, I was like, Mona. You, you can get on the podium in Paris and she knows it. You know, she, she doesn't, these swimmers, and we talked about this the other night, it's the same with Daniel Whiffen. These swimmers believe they have to visualize, they have to believe what they're going to do before they do it. Otherwise it's not going to happen. So she's very close to the podium. She just finished under two seconds um, away from the bronze medal, not 200. Well, not that she needs she's on the cusp, but, yeah, um, any motivation, but the fact she's so close. Yeah, that drives it. Mm-hmm. That drives it. Of course, that's going to drive it. Not that not that the top swimmers in the world get comfortable, but she has her Olympic ambitions, and the fact that she's qualified, it takes the pressure off that she has to go now in May and do a qualifying time. She's she's pretty much mm-hmm. on on the plane to Paris, um, and she's got, like I said, she's got that vers- versatility in terms of the fifty to the 200 and she's a strong freestyle swimmer too and hopefully the um, the female the Irish female team will get a relay as well yeah. to the Olympics so we got to keep it positive yeah. and we got to we got to realise that this is super super impressive mm-hmm. for Irish sport Irish swimming getting the names out there and it's um yeah, it's a stepping stone for future success. Yeah, and there's a huge opportunity to come in Paris, not that uh, not that far away, not uh, 
only a few months to go and hopefully uh, she I, I used to dream. I used to have a countdown myself when the Olympics were coming around but now when I'm out of the sport <laughs> uh, I, I don't have it anymore I used to have a countdown on my phone exactly when the days were coming but look all these athletes know exactly it's a day in day out process it's um, it's getting the job done surround yourself with the right people it's 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 a mental it's very much mental as it is physical I can only imagine Andrew Bree as always thank you so much looking forward to chatting to you over the next few months about all things swimming as well we're going to turn our attention to racing now Jane Mangan joins us on the line to set us up for the weekend's action Jane how are things very well and I'm going to try and visualise my own success in whatever I do now. <laughs> that, that makes sense, it? it does yeah let's try that uh, well, I don't know if you, were, you and I, uh, we're not going to be head down swimming for, no, for Paris. We're past but, a lot uh, of things we, We'll be talking. We'll be talking about it. <laughs> That's for sure. So, Jane, let's visualise what's going to happen this weekend. The Ascot Chase, a grade one, but only four runners. Yeah, that's not unusual. It's, it's not often a race that attracts too many too many runners because uh, we've had the Dublin Racing Festival and we're heading into to Cheltenham mode now. It's worth a hundred grand. It is seventeen fences around Ascot. It's going to be a proper test and. Well, there's only four. There's three of them are, are, are potentially very good. You know, Lampresse, a Brown advisory winner, uh, looked a little bit unlucky in last year's King George, and he came back after a layoff um, to be uh, a quite a good winner at Lingfield beating Protector. But I thought he got a very hard race, uh, considering the time off that he had had. He was off the track for two years. Um, so I'm actually going to go with Pictori against him here because Pictori loves Ascot. He was second in the race last year to Shishkin and I don't think Lampresse is as good as Shishkin. So let's see what uh, Pictori can do. Ahoy Senor being the other good of the trio. Um, but that's the the main item in the agenda at Ascot. At Haydock, there's a Grand National Trial. There's actually two Grand National Trials this weekend, one in Punchestown on Sunday, but we'll get to that. I think the Irish have a great chance in the one in Haydock, though. Three and a half miles. Yeah, man. He was a little bit unlucky, I thought, under Jonathan Burke at Ascot in December. He just left it too late under a big weight and he didn't quite get there but they put the cheek pieces on Sean Flanagan is travelling over to take the ride on him for Gavin Cromwell and I think he's currently around second favourite for that race in Haydock he's going to take some bit of beating but I will be closer to home I'm going to go to Goran tomorrow it's Red Mills Day tomorrow two feature races the Grade 3 Red Mills Trial Hurdle featuring five runners and I think uh, Langtree Ladies a really exciting prospect for Henry Bromhead and Rachel Blackmore we haven't seen her since her sole start last year let's see what she can do against a more experienced and uh, I suppose a more furnished What's Up Darling, already a graded winner himself. And the Red Mills chase the grade two over two and a half miles, sees Riviere de Tell take on the boys, Lucid Dreams and St. Sam. And before you cut me off to finish the show, <laughs> there is another Grand National Trial, as I mentioned. That's at Punchestown at 2.35 on Sunday. Um, look, any second now for Ted Walsh is your top weight class horse. You've got horses like Dunboyne, and where it all began in there for Gordon Elliott, who has won four of the last six renewals of the race. But I like we'll have one. Paul Town and your champion jockey down to do 10 stone. That doesn't happen every day of the week. That's light for him. He'll be skipping dinner tonight. Jane, as always, thank you so much. And that is all we have time for. The official chart show is up next. RTE 2FM.